what we're looking at here is something that rewrites history as we know it, because the connectivity between America Stonehenge and other sites is mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. So when the Stone family bought it, they it was 115 acres or whatever, and Robert Stone looked at this thing and he read it. He was in, he's getting a haircut and he's, it was an article, Mystery Hill and all this other stuff and how they were going to sell it and put up a development. So he went there and he looked at it. He was just blown away by it. And we've got pictures from when, even before Robert Stone got there, the site was buried. The site was pretty much buried. So when Stone got there, what we now know as the as the sacrificial table, that was ground level. That was completely at, at ground level. So you didn't realize it was a table on on legs. You didn't have you had no idea of what you were looking at. Are you a God fearing patriotic American? Or someone that just enjoys good coffee? I encourage you guys to check out the sponsor of the show, Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company. Veteran owned, family man of God, and you're buying these big name coffee brands, you don't know where your money's going and what it's going to support. Support a small business owner and a hard-nosed veteran. Hey folks, I'm Ellie Marzulli, and I'm listening to Prometheus Lens right here. Check it out. All things continually lead back to serpents, dragons, fairies, Nephilim, and fallen angels. In the distance looms a mystical mountain. As Mike Kaiser used to say, if it's in the Bible and it's weird, it's probably important. At its peak, a great fire burns, concealing the Prometheus lens. This, this development of this knowledge that's being talked about within the mystery schools. An ancient artifact said to reveal the hidden truth within a deliberately darkened world. There is a hidden history that's been deliberately obfuscated from the peoples of the world. Join us as we travel and explore the vast unknown. It's a hero's journey with dragons to slay, damsels to save, and innumerable treasures to hoard. Torches high. The Smithsonian, they'd call wind of a giant skeleton. You would send their agents out to get it. But it takes courage to move forward, to move out of the shadows, out of the uh, unreality that we think of as reality. We are all on the hero's journey. Mankind has been in contact with and influenced by extraterrestrials. Leave the Sitchin mound of bull feathers out of it. You know, look at it from a different perspective. A different perspective. A different perspective. A different perspective. All right, what's happening? What's up? Hold out your glass because we're about to fill it up. Welcome to the Prometheus Lens Podcast, a place where the conversations are always enlightening. Now, how many of you guys have heard of America's Stonehenge? For those who have it, you're going to learn about today and how it could possibly be the Access Mundi of the world. And I'm here today with the honored guest, L.A. Marzulli. L.A., thank you for coming on today. Nice to be here, Justin. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Uh, which I've always, uh, you know, followed your work and your podcasts and stuff. And then when we met at that conference uh, back yes. a few months ago about that uh, seven-disc set, and I completely just 
nerded out on that for hours on the end and got all kinds of good notes, but you had one specifically called the Access Mundi on America's Stonehenge. Uh, tell us uh, how you come across this and just you know give uh, our listeners some background for that don't know much about the site itself. Well, the site is a 4,000-year-old site in New Hampshire. Um, it's, it was a closed site. Now, this is all new information. I believe the site was abandoned, but they closed it. Who were they? So 4,000 years ago in New Hampshire, well, you know, something else is going on here. And we're actually in some uh, very interesting scientific uh, research on the site. Uh, we've had a, a bone that was analyzed, and the, the information from that, the DNA came back. We've got it. Very interesting, but I, I won't tell you what it is yet because I can't. Um, we're also doing carbon dating on the same bone. So this gets very interesting. But we believe because of one of the artifacts that was there, it's called the, ba- the bale stone. And it weighs about 30 pounds. And on it is, is handwriting. Someone carved into the stone. But when they found it, they knew... It looked like handwriting. No one could read it. No one had seen anything like it before. And so it lay in the museum for 11 years. And a professor, Barry Fell, from Harvard University, and, and he came out to the, uh, to the site and looked at it. And he said, that looks like Iberian Punic, and I think I can uh, decipher it. So he takes it back and he works it out. And it says, to Baal of the Canaanites in dedication. They didn't know what they were looking at, with all due respect. They knew it was a Phoenician thing, but they knew nothing about the Nephilim. They knew nothing about the diaspora when Joshua and Caleb pushed the conquest of Canaan and how the Nephilim tribes disperse, hence the word diaspora. They, they travel to different parts of the world. There's no doubt about that although mainstream archaeologists refuse to look at it to their own detriment. So what we're looking at here is something that rewrites history as we know it, because the connectivity between America Stonehenge and other sites is mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. So when the Stone family bought it, they it was 115 acres or whatever, and Robert Stone looked at this thing, and he read it. He was, in, he was getting a haircut, and he's, it was an article, Mystery Hill and all this other stuff and how they were going to sell it and put up a development. So he went there, and he looked at it. He was just blown away by it. And we've got pictures from when, even before Robert Stone got there, the site was buried. The site was pretty much buried. So when Stone got there, what we now know as the as the sacrificial table, that was ground level. That was completely at, at ground level. So you didn't realize it was a table on on legs. You didn't have you had no idea of what you were looking at. Right. There was like for instance the chamber that that there's this um uh, a tube, a six foot tube that goes from a hidden chamber and it comes out underneath where the uh, table, the sacrificial table is. Well, no one knew about that. It was all, everything was underground. So they began to excavate and they went, oh my gosh, 
you know, this thing's got legs. And they went further and they found the chamber. There's an oracle tube which goes from this hidden chamber to underneath the temple or underneath the table. And it was sealed on both ends with round stones, sealed. Then there's something else. So when they got there, they knew something was up with the site, but they weren't sure. And around the site were these standing stones, but everything was overgrown and you really couldn't see it, but there was something going on. And they went, maybe this is some sort of observatory. So they, they would stand in the center of their site and they would look, this is the first clue, at the summer solstice sunset. And they went, that, that sunrise, let me get a little prop here. So here's, here's the stone. That sunset comes down like this, right over the stone. I mean, give me a break. So once they got to that, they realized, okay, something's up. And they began to go back and let me let me get out of mail here so it's so we don't get bothered so annoying so they began to go and 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 find other other standing stones and to their amazement there were a lot of them absolutely they were they were all over the place so what was interesting here is they they began to um clear the the forest so you could see these other standing stones, winter solstice, summer solstice, the equinoxes, lunar stuff. But they didn't understand what they were looking at. So when Kelsey Stone, this is how I discovered it. Kelsey or discovered about them. So Kelsey's America, his son, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's Kelsey. Kelsey's his son. So Kelsey is... Um, is a college student, 23-year-old college student, and he's on Google Earth, and he, and, he, and he says to himself, what happens if I extend the line from my site? And let, let me get you, let me get this out here. Um, oh, do you got a little map or picture of it? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. Oh, well, I got it right behind me then. I didn't know that I looked over that. And for those that are listening instead of watching the video, the book he's referring to is his book, On the Trail of the Nephilim. Now this book is very extensive. It's every bit of two and a half to three inches thick, fully illustrated with maps, pictures of all of his work and findings. Uh, I really suggest you guys get that. I picked up my copy when I met him at a conference, and he actually signed my copy. So that's one of my prized possessions, along with my elongated skull that he signed. <laughs> but I just happened to realize as I was editing this, you guys that are listening and not watching the video might be lost on what we are re referencing and talking about here. But this video will be available, so check out the video to see the pictures of the maps and the, the Google Earth images and stuff that he refers to in this audio format. Because honestly, that, that blew my mind. I was watching that video and, you know, looking at the, the altar and how it was bell-shaped and even that it even yeah, had a tilt yeah. to it and looks like yes, channels the for the blood to, to run yeah. down into a collection chamber. Yeah. Exactly and then the, what then the standing stones and just, I mean, that as that video just progressed, it just kept, you know, just when I thought I couldn't be blown away even more, it just kept hitting me. <laughs> So, so here's the deal. When you, when you take this, this is the line right here. So you, you go out on the line. This is Kelsey Stone. He's on Google Earth. 
And he's saying, what happens if I go out and I draw a line from the center of my site out to the standing stone? So he does that. And, you know, it's pretty cool. And now he's over the Atlantic Ocean. He goes by Newfoundland. And he continues. He finds himself going through Ireland. And then he goes, well, you know, let's continue the line. He's in southern England. He's saying, I wonder how close I am to Stonehenge. Here's the payoff. That line goes to Right through the center. Yeah, right in the center. And you you can't, what we're looking at is spherical trigonometry. We're looking at sphere, which is way beyond my pay grade. Spherical spherical trigonometry, because the earth is a globe, it's not flat. And if it is flat for all your flat earthers, then, then quit squawking at us and go out and get the pictures. I mean, what's so hard about that? You know, we've got millions of pictures of the earth from satellites and the moon and everything else. Just show us one. Just go out there and, and don't don't quote me scripture. I don't want to hear that. Okay, I already, I already know what you're going to do. You're taking allegory and trying to make a flat earth. But And I know some of you out there are getting really ticked off right now. But take the L.A. Marzulli Flat Earth Challenge. You know, pull your money together. Rent a jet. You guys can do this. There are millionaires out there who believe in the flat earth. Fine. Okay? Rent the jet and go in any direction and bring back the pictures of the of the earth, you know, where it falls off. Just just do that. The mountain of ice which circles the deal. I mean, guys, you're smoking something. Trust me. And it <laughs> makes Christians look like absolute morons if you want to know the truth. And I know I'm ticking off a lot of people, but you can't show me one picture. You can't bring back one picture. I can show you a gazillion of them. So it's all a conspiracy. Now, so look, there was a guy who wrote, wrote about this in, in Prophecy Watchers, right, the magazine. He worked at NASA on a computer when they were, when they were feeding the lunar mission. They're transmitting the pictures. He's getting the pictures as they're coming off. He's getting them. I mean, he's not making this up. And there's the there's the Earth, little little cute globe, not a flat thing. It's it's a sphere. So, but I digress. So when you go- as you guys probably seen, that flat Earth rant was not provoked or initiated by me in any way. That just kind of took a mind of its own right there. And I released that reel on Facebook, and I got some flack, and I even have some friends that are flat earthers. And I've already been asked, you know, am I a flat earther? Or obviously I'm not a flat earther because I was laughing at the comments that Ellie was making. I've seen plenty of videos and had my friends, you know, talk to me about this that do believe in the flat earth, about the ice ring and, you know, the the stars and sun, moon within the firmament. You know, I've done some light research they do raise some compelling arguments, but honestly, this is not something I've given a lot of thought to, because I don't care if it's shaped like a plate, a globe, or a hot dog. It's not a salvation issue, and I see a lot of Christians fighting amongst themselves over it, and I just think that's sad, because that's not what that's that is not what's important. But some of the things that I do hold dear to and research thoroughly is Dr. Watt Brown's hydroplate theory. And it fits perfectly with the narrative of the global flood. It explains everything, even the pelts in the moon. That 
does not work on a flat earth. And there's other things too. But I just wanted to insert my comments here for the listeners. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And as long as it's not a salvation issue, we can have discussions. And we're free to have our own interpretations and believe what we want to believe. As long as we're united to the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, I feel I had to say that. Back to the episode. When you're there and, and that line splits the two trilithons at Stonehenge, England, you are looking at spherical trigonometry, which you could only do from the air, who was the prince of the power of the air. But once they got that, and I saw that, that rendition on Scott Walter's show, America Unearthed, and I was blown away. I contacted them the next day, and they were gracious enough to let me include that in the book, I'm a Trail of a Nephilim, which is available by going to lamarzuli.net. That's lamarzuli.net, and get your copy today. So, but, but I was able to do that. It just blew me away. And, and they gave me the information. Kelsey gave me the JPEGs, which was incredible, and that made it into the book. Once Kelsey and the Stone family, not Sly and the family stone, but the Stone family, <laughs> I saw them at Woodstock. They were flipping amazing. Oh, I bet. They were amazing. Just, you know, this is before Sly couldn't speak, you know, with too many drugs. They were incredible. I mean, the whole place was dancing. It was unbelievable. But once again, I'm down that rabbit trail. Stick oh, to I, the subject. I, I, was, I was definitely born in the wrong era. All the, all the good music was, I mean, we had some good music, you know what I mean? But it just, not, not like that. Not like the sixties, no, no. In the early seventies. That was a whole different deal. So once they once they figured out that these standing stones seemed to align deliberately to other sites, and this is where we get the Axis Monday, they began to explore. Well, when you go to another standing stone, you wind up in Chaco Canyon, New Mexico. How does that work? <laughs> another standing stone, you wind up in Teotihuacan, Mexico. Machu Picchu, the pyramids out on the Canary Islands, the Great Pyramid of Giza, hence the name, the Axis Mundi, and Fritz Zimmerman was the one who named it that, the center of the world. So we're there, and I'm, I'm at the museum, and I'm talking to Kelsey Stone about the Bale Stone. So what is this? And, and he's actually, I'm walking in the museum, and Kelsey's going, this is the 39-day stone, and Oh, really? What's that? Well, this is 39 days, and it's uh, from from when uh, the solstice to um, to Baltane. What? You know, to Bal of the Canada? It's like, what? And I'm just, I'm, I'm not still not tracking with them. Well, what's this? This is where we have the stones with writing on them. Well, what's this one? Well, this one was translated by Harvard professor Barry Fell, who then... Is that 75? Um, 1975? Yeah, Bob, Bob, please. It's, it's a car here, Bob. <laughs> Letting all these illegal aliens here. I don't know what we're going to do here. I didn't vote for this. So anyway, it's unbelievable. Don't get me going. So I go, what's it say? To bail the Canaanites in dedication. I mean, I, I fell over. And they didn't know the connection, the Nephilim connection, 
because this is the Canaanites are a Nephilim tribe. The Phoenicians were known for their, their sailing throughout history. Exactly. Exactly. So that rewrites history as we know it. But I was just there about two weeks ago, literally two weeks ago. I was there. This is good timing then. (laughs) Yeah. And we're in the, we're in the center area. Once again, now it's a, it's the center of a site, but there it's elevated. So you can really see the standing stones. And I go, I, I'm looking at this going, there's the, there's the 39 day stone and it's toppled. It's on the ground. All the other stones are up, but the 39 day stone is on the ground. The bell stone to bell of the Canaanites in dedication is buried in a collapsed chamber. I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. So the bow stone is on the ground. All the other stones are standing. But 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 the bow stone is on the ground. The stone that says to Baal in dedication is buried in a collapsed chamber. And when you go and you look at the 39-day stone in the museum, 39 days from the spring equinox to Baltane, to Baltane. Baltane is a Celtic festival. What became a Celtic festival? It's to Baal. And then you've got the two stones which are plugging the oracle chamber. In my opinion, the site was closed down. But we don't know by whom. We don't know by whom. We don't know. Are you a member of the Prometheus Lens Podcast members only group? And if not, what are you waiting for? Come join the band of brothers on the hero's journey. With this members only package, you get early access to episodes. You get special episodes that nobody else gets, special video content, documentaries. And you help support the show and keep the lights on. You know, doing podcasts, they can be very expensive. A lot of people don't realize all the subscriptions, the website fees, the, the video and audio subscriptions and things like that. So if you enjoy the content, help keep the lights on, help me keep doing what I love to do, and keep bringing you fire each and every week. We don't know by whom. However, there's, there's biblical precedence for when the Lord shows up, and, and I'll just give you the biblical precedence right now. Abraham gets tapped out. The two angels come with the pre-incarnate Christ. Sarah's laughing. This time next year you're going to be pregnant. Just wait, Sarah. And Chuck Messler used to say that somehow the Lord regenerated them, worked the clock backwards. They had to. Sarah's 90 years old, and she's right. going to get pregnant. That's not going to happen. Sarah, Sarah and Abraham go to Egypt, and Pharaoh wants her in his harem? No, that's not going to happen either. Something very, very strange is going on here. Extremely strange. He regenerated them. He reversed their ages, which is that in itself is a three-hour conversation. Oh, yeah. And I got that from Chuck Messler. So the Lord is there, the two angels and are there, and the Lord says, you know, I'm going to make you a great nation. So now for the first time in history, we now know the bloodline of the Messiah. 
out of you all the nations will be blessed. This is, that's the prophecy. And we are, all the nations are blessed because of Jesus. But thousands of years ago, Abraham didn't know. He just knew, you know, I'm just Abe. I mean, I got called out of her. Here I am with Sarah. We're buried. That's what's going on here. Not so fast, Abraham. Not so fast. Next time, next year, you know, Sarah's going to be pregnant. Really cool. But then he says, then the Lord says to Abraham something that's really incredible. It's, it's pregnant with meaning. And he says, you're going to be a great nation, but you're going to go down to Egypt for 400 years until the sin of the Amorites comes into its fullness. The Amorites is an overarching title term, yeah. for, for Nephilim tribes is what we're looking at here. For Nephilim tribes. And that in itself is mind-boggling. So the Lord knows that it's 400 years, and he allows the sin of the Amorites, which is creating hybrids, to come into its fullness. And then he acts. And so on that battlefield, 400 years later, when Joshua and Caleb come up into the Promised Land, it is the seed war manifesting in the Levant, because on one side you've got the 12 tribes of Israel, on the other side you've got all these different Nephilim tribes, and they go at it. And guess who wins? So that sets up a precedent where the Lord will allow things to happen for a certain period of time, and then he acts. Conjecture on my part. Was the site closed closed by angels? No, no. Was it closed by those who constructed it? We don't know. But what I do find interesting is that it was, in my opinion, the site was closed. The site, the site was deliberately shut down and buried. Some, buried, and we get the same thing happening in Gobekli Tepe. Yes, same exact thing happening. It, it's everywhere. It's ab- It's the same deal. It's it's it just make you just scratch your head and you what am I looking at um, in Corral, which is the oldest city in the Americas? It's down in Peru. I've been there like three or four times, maybe more. I don't know, maybe five or six times. I think that's more like it. Because I went, I went with Brian. You didn't mind to endorse beer, LA? You could be the Del Sakis man. <laughs> exactly. There you the go. most interesting man in the world. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> But we were down there, um, and um, the site was abandoned. Just the whole site. And we're looking at pyramids, step pyramids, level. I mean, it's huge. It's a huge site in the middle of nowhere. This now, is decaying, one, ain't it? Is that the one you're talking about? It was The sides were real decayed and falling off like somebody just walked away in your videos. This is uh, Mondo and I were there. It's in, if you've done a deep dive and you have, it's in Lost Civilizations. It's in mm, number yes. six. Yeah. Yeah. Lost Civilizations. And you're, we're there and there's this level, level plaza. There's three pyramids. There's something that looks very much like a Kiva, which is what we see in New Mexico at Chaco Canyon. It's almost identical. The site reminds me in some ways of Teotihuacan. This is what we hear from the docents who were there 
well, we don't know who built this, but they just abandoned the site. And then they add, we think it was due to climate change. It's like, oh, my God. Seriously, <laughs> guys? It's climate change? Seriously? Mm. And we hear this over All the methane over. from their camels. and <laughs> It's unbelievable. So the theory I am going with is a supernatural one, which is why it will never get legs in mainstream archaeology till the second coming. And then the Lord will make it right. Is it possible that, and I'll, I'll, let me read you something here. I did a show on this last week. Three years among the Comanches. Oh, yeah. Someone sent this to me. And and here's the kicker. Uh, this is the legend of the Comanches, as he related it. So, the Rolling Thunder and this guy, Nelson Lee. Nelson Lee's a captive with the Comanches, they find themselves in this 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 valley where these huge, I'll, I'll read it to you because it's, it's just amazing. Um, let me see. Finally, we descended into a ravine walled on either side by rugged cliffs, which led us a day's ride to the southwest. Where we emerged into a valley about four miles wide, 30 long. It was surrounded on all sides by very high mountains exceedingly bleak and barren. There was not a tree or a bush, even a blade of grass to be discovered over the entire surface of the valley. It was covered to the average depth of 15 feet, as near as I could judge, with broken pumice stone, a substance precisely similar to the lava of Vesuvius, Mount Vesuvius, the volcano. That it was a result of volcanic eruptions, there was no possible doubt, inasmuch as numerous tracks down which it had flowed from the mountaintops were distinctly visible. The Rolling Thunder, in order to convince me of the correctness of the belief universal throughout the Comanche Nation, conducted me to the western side of the strange valley, where I saw with infinite astonishment and surprise the dilapidated ruins of a large town. In the midst of the falling walls of a great number of buildings, which in some remote age, beyond doubt, had lined spacious streets, was what appeared to have been a church or some very large building, like a cathedral. Its walls of cut stone two feet thick, and in some places 15 feet high, including a space measuring 200 feet in length and perhaps 100 in width. The inner surface of the walls in many places was adorned with elaborate carved work, evidently the labor of a master hand. And at the eastern end was a massive stone platform which seemed to have been used as a stage or pulpit. And my surprise at beholding so unexpectedly these evidences of a civilization in that wild region I turned to Rolling Thunder and asked if he could explain it. This is the legend of the Comanches, as he related it. Innumerable moons ago, so a long time ago, a race of white men, 10 feet high, and far more rich and powerful than any white people now living, here inhabited a large range of country, extending from the rising to the setting sun. Their fortifications crowned the summits of the mountains, protecting their populous cities situated in the intervening valleys. They excelled every other nation which has flourished either before or since in all manner of cunning handicraft, were brave and warlike, ruling over the land they had wrested from its ancient possessors with a high and haughty hand. To pair with them, the pale faces of the present day were as pygmies, both in art and in arms. They drove the Indians from their homes, putting them to the sword, and occupying the valleys in which their fathers had dwelt before since the world began. At length, in the height of their power and glory, 
and they remembered justice and mercy no more and became proud and lifted up. The great spirit descended from above, sweeping them with fire and deluge from the face of the earth. The mounds we had seen on the tablelands were the remnants of their fortresses and the crumbling ruins that surrounded us, all that remained of a mighty city. Only on the Prometheus Lens podcast will you get story time with L.A. Marzuli. <laughs> that was awesome. We're trying to find the location of this place, if it exists. I believe it does. Does it exist in modernity? Probably not, but you never know. You yeah. never know. There's another precedent for the destruction like this, Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a, there's a third precedent for this. When, when the Lord tells Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach so I don't destroy it, and he does, but he goes the wrong way. Uh, I'm not going to do this. He tries to run away, don't he? <laughs> yeah. So we all know the story, and Jonah goes to finally gets to Nineveh, and he preaches, and they repent. So the Lord doesn't destroy it. But he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah until the sin of the Amorites comes in. Then he brings Joshua and Caleb and the boys. Is it possible that what we're looking at in all these sites, because, I mean, it's just it's it's more than one example, Justin. Oh, yeah. I just gave Atlantis, you know, you know, Genesis six. Yeah, I mean, I'm a firm believer. Prophecy repeats itself throughout history. So, with America Stonehenge, was the site destroyed by angels and covered up? I have no answer to that. That's conjecture. But in my opinion, the site was abandoned but deliberately closed. And I find it. You've got the bow stone, the 39 day stone on the ground. We've got the bow stone to bow of the Canaanites buried in the collapsed chamber. And we've got the oracle tube sealed up on both ends with a stone. And then the whole site is buried. And I just wanted to elaborate. When he's talking about the sacrificial table, this is a huge stone slab, like I described earlier, that they believed was a sacrificial table. And it's tilted downward, and it's got... Uh, channels cut around it and then a hole leading to a hole at the bottom that they believed that the blood would flow to these canals or channels on the stone and flow down to this hole where they would have a bowl of some kind to catch the blood well you can crawl under that table and that table is connected to a stone wall and it's actually like a cave system well they found this huge stone sitting in front of a hole and they pulled it out and seen it was a little tunnel so when they went inside this cave and went on the other side, they found another stone covering this hole. And they opened it up, and that was a, basically a sound tube leading from underneath the table. So they believed like a priest you know, or a holy man would sit there in that room, and when they were doing these sacrifices and stuff, would bellow out from underneath the table, you know, like the gods were, were speaking to him, like Baal was, was speaking to them. So that's what he's talking about. So when they discovered this site, you know, that 39-day stone toppled over. Uh, one of the chambers collapsed in on itself or deliberately collapsed in. And they tried to unearth this uh, room, but the stones were so heavy they couldn't even get them up with the uh, modern machinery. But they dug back in there, and that's where they found this bell stone. So all signs point to that this was deliberately destroyed and buried and tried to be covered up. But where he was talking about, you know, the 
the sounding hole and, and all these different things where you've not seen these videos I just wanted to elaborate a little more and explain that but uh, this is the Access Mundi DVD from his seven disc set that he's got on ancient civilizations and the Nephilim on the trail awesome stuff I highly highly recommend you guys check that out you would thoroughly enjoy it back to the episode you tell me and with uh at dvd when i was listening to it uh i think it was uh maybe kelsey but he was talking about the correlations with the uh 39 and a half year lunar cycle is that right or it's an 18 and a half year lunar 18 cycle. and a half lunar cycle and you see this throughout the world all these megalith sites could you touch on that a little bit for those that are not familiar with, yeah, the, with that can. cycle so let's say it's let's say we go back four thousand years and you and i touch down at america stonehenge and we see the moon come up here and then it sets over here next night it comes up here but it sets way out of the picture and, it, and so we, we create a center point. We put a stake and a rock on the ground. And then where we see the moon come up, we put a stake in the ground. Where we see the moon set, we put a stake in the ground. We do this every night for, th for 30 days. Then a rainstorm comes in, and we can't see the moon, so we got to start all over. Here's the rub. You can do the math. First of all, we don't know, Justin in L.A., we have no idea that it is an 18 and a half year lunar cycle. We don't know that. So the question is, when we just start to come in and look at this thing, we don't know whether in year two, year eight, year 12, year one, we have no idea. We're putting stakes on the ground and we're taking buffalo hide and trying to crunch the data. How do you crunch the data? Who sits up and goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, stake number 82, right? Stake number 82 looks like we've been there before. It looks just like the pattern for stake 82, stakes 82. Who's going to figure that out? We're looking at thousands of stakes. Just do the math. 18 and a half years times two. Just do the math. Did just you want that math. job? No. No. <laughs> There's no, there's no buffalo hide, deer hide. There's nothing that shows that Native Americans knew about this. And yet it's, it, this, the lie is perpetrated that they knew all about this. Europeans didn't know about it until, you know, not recently, but, but you know, not that long ago, really, when you think about, about it. Yeah, the span so, of history. But, yeah, I mean, the... There is a hidden history that's been deliberately obfuscated from the peoples of the world. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And it, and it surrounds us. It's all around us, literally all around us. But they'll call someone like me, I'm a pseudo-archaeologist because I don't have a degree. Well, okay, but I've been out in the field a whole lot, and a lot of these guys just sit in the library all day. you got that's common fine. sense and experience. I'll take that any day over a piece of paper. And I'm I'm out in the field. I mean, we're saying you show me something show me somewhere in the record that that native americans knew about the 18 and a half year lunar cycle i mean that would be in the oral tradition but it's not there and i'm not trying to disparage native americans 
because we just heard from a Native American, Nelson Lee wrote him in his book, right? Rolling Thunder, Chief Rolling Thunder, who talks about there's a race of 10-footers that inhabit. And, and, and his account is exactly what we hear from many of the tribes. But archaeologists, modern-day archaeologists, for the most part, refuse to acknowledge that this ever happened. So they pick and choose which oral traditions they're going to believe. So really, who's, who's the pseudo-archaeologist? Who really is the racist? I'm going by, this is the guy's oral tradition. This is what Rolling Thunder says. I believe every flipping word of it. I really do. But it doesn't matter what blows my mind. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's the Indians. It doesn't matter if it's the Celts. It doesn't matter if it's the Hebrews. Every single culture throughout history has a similar story and paradigm that whether they call them the the star people, angels, uh, Nephilim, whatever, fallen angels, there is something, quote unquote, extraterrestrial, not of this world, that comes and gives this knowledge to humanity and builds these great things. I mean, it's, it's across the board. It's across the board and and it appears everywhere. And, and the reason why that mainstream archeologists, archeologists don't like it. And, 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 you know, will this will disparage my work uh, and other people's work like Chris Zimmerman, um, Brian Forrester is because it, it goes against their prevailing paradigm because they're all a bunch of, you know, Darwinists. I mean, they are. They, they don't believe in anything supernatural. And what, what we're pointing to, including Chief Joseph Riverwind, is the Tiana War Chief. Uh, we're pointing to a supernatural paradigm, which where these, these sites that are there, something happens and then they're shut down. I mean, Gobekli Tepe was under all this soil. I mean, how how the heck, how does that work? I mean, it takes, I mean, a lot of time to bury these things. You know, America Stonehenge, completely overgrown, completely overgrown. The, the sacrificial tables buried in dirt. They didn't know what, they just thought it was another slab because all the, all, the, all the cuts were filled in with dirt. They didn't know what they were looking at. And then somebody started going, you know, once Robert Stone bought it, they bought an archaeologist and they began to uncover all this stuff. They were just blown away, completely blown away. And, and so was I. Like I said, I was just there. I believe the site was shut down. Um, I really do. I don't believe it was abandoned. I believe it was shut down by the good guys. Now, that's conjecture. I cannot prove it. But that's conjecture based on all the other sites that we talked about. Here's another example, Teotihuacan. So it's the largest pyramid in the world. It's, it's, it's not as high as Giza, but the base is wider than Giza. And there's this whole subterranean deal underneath it, which connects the Pyramid of the Sun and the Pyramid of the Moon. We don't know what they called it. Huge plaza, huge plaza. And it resembles corral down in Peru. Corral was abandoned due to climate change. They have no idea why it was abandoned. <laughs> quit, quit speculating. You don't even know who the people call themselves. They have no idea. So just like Teotihuacan, they call them, these are the Teotihuacanos. They make up the name. Just like all the mounds in Ohio. These were the Hopewell. These were the Adena. 
You don't know what they call themselves. You just make up names. And we're supposed to believe this? You, you don't know. You don't know. And the local Stop. Indians will say, Stop. we did not build this. Yeah, no, just, yes, you just, did. You just don't remember. Yeah. You don't remember. <laughs> Shut up. If that's not intellectual, if that's not racism, I don't know what is. Seriously. If that's not, you know, overt racism, and this is the work of Cyrus Thomas, you know, about 100 years ago almost, said, oh, no, Native Americans built all this stuff. They just forgot that they had done so. Oh, really? When does that happen? So I guess, I guess you know, Chief Rolling Thunder was just making this up, right? Ten-footers, you know, pale face, the whole deal. Nonsense. So what do we believe? What do we believe? It's just like my workout on Catalina Island. We find a nine-footer, and I got to show you that. Hold on. Let me. It's here in this one. And what was crazy about that find was it was in a, it was pictured in a museum for all to see people seeing it every day. And then you see it and having it, you know, analyzed and looked at and then tell, tell them what it is. And it, the picture gets taken down and disappears. <laughs> yeah. And, and we'll, sh we'll show you that in just a second. But, uh, they even speculated with uh, that America Stonehenge. I heard in the video that uh, they believed that everything lined up with uh, the constellation Draco, that they believed no, the North Star was Draco during that time. And he didn't, when we found that, I mean, in the film, he, I just go, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, it's always the dragon. It's always the dragon. Yeah, like this you say, the who's picture. the prince of the power of the air? Yep. This is the picture I discovered in the museum archives. It was not on the wall. Nobody knew about it. It was in a museum box that looks like this on the bottom. That's a museum box right there. See the way everything's cataloged? Mm -hmm. It's in a vault. That box is in a vault. Public ain't going to look at it. Nobody's ever going to see the light of day of these pictures. But I see it because I had access to it, and I discovered the picture. I had the picture analyzed. The picture shows a nine-footer. That's what it is. That rewrites history. So Richard Shaw and I go back, and we go back to the museum, <laughs> and we walk in, and this is what we see. They photoshopped him out. Yeah, they photoshopped it out. What great links to, golly. I thought oh, they just and, took and, it down. They actually photoshopped it. There it is. There it is right there. That's inside the museum. Trust the science, people. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> right. I mean, but but I'm the pseudo-archaeologist? Really? So let me get this straight. I mean, and I asked the curator. It wasn't John Borgina anymore. It was a new curator. I said, you know, why did you do this? She said, oh, I didn't do anything. I was just told to put this picture up. I just did what I was told to do. So she's innocent. She never saw the original picture. Why would you do that? If you were trying to get people to your museum, right, why wouldn't you take my work? Because I've already done it for you. I've already, you can just, and you could call me up and I would let you use those pictures. Come see the giant skeleton that was found on Catalina. The line, the line would be around the block. But that's not, they're not going to do that. But we see this over and over and over again where artifacts go missing, 
skulls go missing. It's just the same thing. Oh, that 28-pound axe head, that was ceremonial. Well, how do you, if you don't know the people's names or what they call themselves, how can you possibly tell us that this object is ceremonial? You, you know, you're, you're basically lying to us. I hate to use that word, but that's what you're doing. You're making up a story which has no basic basis in fact. You know, quit calling us. We're actually out in the field looking at stuff. It's like the DNA evidence is a perfect example. Yeah, that ties everything together, what you're saying. It's no longer a postulation. No. Well, it's, it's, it's no longer a hypothesis in yeah. the sense that, you know, how many, how many DNA samples do we have to do? Brian Forrester had uh, two guys come down from Gaia TV, and they took 100 samples. They found nuclear DNA, and the nuclear DNA did not, DNA did not match anything in the gen banks. It was an unknown primate. So, you know, bully for those guys. Nobody cares. We came down and we showed a preponderance of, of DNA, which came from the Middle East, the Levant in particular, and Eastern Europe. Oh, it's all contaminated, blah, 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 blah. Well, our challenge was, why don't you guys go down and, you know, you show us the samples and let's see where this is. Let's see what you come up with. Of course, they don't do that. And, you know, I'm not... Like there are carbon fourteen labs that won't touch my work. If if I if I send them a sample, will you please carbon fourteen dating? It doesn't care about my belief or my worldview. It's going to spit back data. Oh no, you're a, you're a pseudo scientist. You're a pseudo archaeologist. So we won't take your money. We're not going to allow you to do carbon fourteen dating. That's called censorship. Yeah. That's called discrimination. That's Light what balling. it is. Yeah, that's what it is. Because I have a different paradigm. Why? Because I'm uncovering the secret history, which has been deliberately obfuscated to people of the world. That DNA showed a direct connection to the Levant, which supports our hypothesis that when Joshua and Caleb, according to the biblical prophetic narrative, according to the Bible, okay, when Joshua and Caleb came into the promised land there was, and, and began to push back these Nephilim tribes, there was a diaspora. And they fled all over the world, and we see the remnants of it all through the Mediterranean Sea, into Spain, into Portugal, into France, into the UK, and finally over here. I mean, it's it's like you can trace it. It's the Amorites. It's just like until the sin of the Amorites comes into its fullness. And 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 you know, you say this, those of us who believe in the biblical narrative, the dots are totally connected. Those who are in academia who have a Darwinian paradigm. Oh, no. You know, it's all contaminated. You people are smoking something. You know, it's like, and we're not talking what you're smoking. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, it's unbelievable. When, when you go, when you go into Israel and you see the dolmen fields that are there, these huge stones, megalithic stones that are, that are or Saksewama. Let me, let me just show you that. Saksewama, where the stones are caught with absolute, you know, the precision is is beyond anything. I mean, just just like you sit there with your jaw on the ground. You know, it's always good to go to the index. Yeah, let me go to the index here. Okay, so here, here you go. So this is, I got to go to the index because I'll never find it. Hold on. The Paracas history. 
That's not it. Hold on, let me, oh, it will find it. So, you know, when you go to, okay, let's just go to Orient and Tombo, page 200. This, this, this illustrates my point. So when you go to someplace like this, and, and you see Saksewaman, let me show it to you. When you see this, and, and look, look at the corner there. Look, look at the way, look at this stone. Look at the way it's fitted together. Look at that. Look at this. Look at, look at this. And you can clearly I, see where modern man added to it. You know? Yeah. Oh, you can see that. That's what these ancient civilizations did. I mean, they, they found these sites and just built on yeah. top of them. You're trying to tell me people did that? You want to know how big it is? I'll show you how big it is. That's how big it is. <laughs> yeah. Some of these stones weigh up to 100,000 tons. And once again, for those listening, he's going through that book, and he's just showing uh, pictures of megalith sites throughout the world and down in Peru and just these huge stones and just all these amazing architecture that uh, ancient dumb man supposedly built. Not 80, 100,000. I'll show you one that right right here, right next to Ron Moorhead, right there. That's the one. Wow. Yeah. Maybe 80,000 80, tons, something like that. I've even seen and, pictures where they, they it looks like they've been heated and just wrapped. Yeah, like they're, they're, yeah and, and wrapped. Yeah. It's, it's something, we're looking at a technology that we don't possess today. And you can't cut andesite stone with a copper chisel. You can't do it. And we demonstrate it in our newest film, Out of Place Artifacts, which is number eight in the Amitro of Nepalim. So, yeah, I mean, what we're looking at is a hidden history that's been deliberately obfuscated from the people of the world. And, folks, you know, we've been talking about this, Justin, but, you know, your listeners can go and just get instant gratification by going to our streaming site, streaming at lamarzuli.net, streaming, like a stream, streaming at lamarzuli.net. I think we sell them for, like, four bucks a pop. And, uh, you know, you can rent them and watch them. And, and like you said, you know, you binge watch them and, and, or you can buy the DVDs by going to lamarzuli.net, just lamarzuli.net, and follow the links, and we'll send you the, the hard copies. We just came out with number eight in the series, Out of Place Artifacts. So that's that's a real hoot. I want to thank Josh Peck for um, putting the final touches on the editing on that. But, I mean, this is what we do. We're, we're on the trail, and we are we are definitely, I mean, when you look at Soxie Woman and Orient and Tombo, you look at these places, America, Stonehenge, you know, you start, you start putting things together and whose, whose theory works? Well, the biblical theory works. The biblical prophetic narrative works for all this because it shows that all these sites are connected. We watched a, my wife and I watched a, a film the other day, um, Aliens in Atlantis, and it was all about the serpent. Serpent energy, serpent sights, serpent, 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 serpent. It's always about the serpent. Especially the megalith sites. Always. Always about the serpent. And even um, you guys discovered, uh, well, you, uh, the owner did, but brought it to your guys' attention, and you guys were the first ones to film it. I thought that was really cool. But the actual site is encased by a serpent, biting its own yeah. tail, no yeah. less. Yeah. It's, it's the Ouroboros. And I, I was just there. In fact, 
the chamber where the serpent head is, when when the spring equinox happens, the the, the center stone inside, and and the James, the, our guide said, yes, it looks like an egg, and I just went, there you go, you know, there you go. It's oh, it's always the serpent in the act of trying to eat the egg, you know, trying trying to destroy the egg, which is when you go to the great serpent mound. Uh, let me see if I can show you that. When you go, and if you want the book, folks, lamarzuli.net, it's, it's like, it's over, what is it, 500 pages? Yeah, 600 pages almost of full-color photos. It's like four books in one. It's ridiculous. I mean, really and even if you can't read, it looks good on the coffee okay. table. Thank you, sir. Um, where is the but I know a guy and uh mine signed. <laughs> That's why I love using Logos Bible software. Man, it, yeah. all your books are synced together. So there you go. That's the great serpent mound. The serpent is in the act of eating the egg. And by the way, folks, when you're there, you know, there's a little path around it. You can't see what you're looking at till you fly a drone about 300 feet, 400 feet in the air. And then, then it comes into its, its fullness. But until you, until you get that drone up in the air, you don't know what you're looking at. And of course we show that in our film, um, the Mound Builders series. I mean, that's, that's where we show it. Didn't you and Fritz even find a, a sacrificial table and standing stone that had been pushed and fell off the hill? Yeah. 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 It, It was pushed off the hill. We want to raise that baby up and see if there's writing on it. Oh, definitely. See, that's real archaeology. You know, what are we looking at here, guys? What are we looking at? So you need a crane. You know, I mean, it's a whole deal. And, of course, they'll, they won't let, let someone like me ever do it. They just won't. In fact, they wouldn't let Graham Hancock film there. Yeah, I reason. remember they run him off. Yeah, run him off. And that that's how the game is played. I mean, that that is how the game is played. I'll give you. I'll give you an example. I don't have it. I can't show you this. Um, let me. Let me just see. Hold on. Let me, it might. I didn't think it made, but maybe it did. It's. It's in the film. It's in um, mathematical mysteries of the Mound Builders number two. So my wife Peggy and I and Fritz Zimmerman are at Graves Creek Mound, and we're filming there. And Graves Creek is in West Virginia. It's an, it's an ancient, ancient site. They did find giant skeletons there. So the, the, one of the assistants who used to work at the museum left her job. So a new woman comes in, and she's going through the files, and she creates this little um, sort of a bulletin board. On, it's got three sides, which turns. It's out of the lobby on the way out to see the mound. So she puts out this picture. It's a lithograph from like Harper's Bazaar. My wife, Peggy, goes, oh my gosh, what's this? It's a picture, it's a lithograph of the museum. There was, it used to be a museum in Graves Creek Mound itself. And on display was a giant skeleton. How do we know this? Because there's a guy with a stove pipe hat on and a woman with a, a hoop skirt that goes down to her ankles and a little girl next to her. The man is standing 
in front of the skeleton and this thing towers over him and it's being displayed. So we report on that. Here's the picture. Whoops. This is what we found. And this archaeologist comes on and does a rebuttal. The problem is he photoshopped, someone photoshopped his photograph. So they shrunk the skeleton. And some wise observer said, this is not the same picture that L.A. showed. And I offered a $1,500 reward for someone who could get us to the perpetrator who perpetrated this scam. And this archaeologist is lying through his teeth to the people. Lying through his teeth. We we took the photograph, and that thing was not supposed to guarantee it. Oh, yeah. That, that photograph was never supposed to see the light of day. And I just talked to Fritz, uh, and he said that they even had a sign up that said uh, there was never oh, any okay. giants here. There was never giants found in this mound. He said, but lo and behold, he said, this new woman had these pictures brought up, he said, and she was like, whoops. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh, there's a nine-footer. What do we do now? Damage control. Yeah. You know, all we need to do is find one. They didn't get them all, I guarantee it. They're probably First Nation people, especially in the Southwest, that could take us right now to a cave where they're just, you know, giant skeletons just sitting there. I, yeah. I, I guarantee. It. Which I even guarantee. think it's, it's crazy how people look over uh, Abraham Lincoln's quote at Niagara Falls. Yeah. You know, he said yeah. that yeah. you know the, that yeah. that race of extinct giants whose bones right. fill the mounds of America have stared at Niagara as our eyes do now, and it's like that's why right. they they want to assign it to the Indian peoples because then it's sacred land and uh you're not allowed to disturb it or dig it up because they know what lies underneath it abraham lincoln knew what lied underneath those mounds and that's exactly true all i can tell you is this that the that the powers that be keep everything away from the american people and the peoples of the world peoples of the world have a right to know what the truth is that's all we're saying you know all we are saying is give truth a chance. What are you guys so afraid of that you've got to destroy people's lives or do do nasty things or hide it or, you know, blow it up or whatever, the, whatever you do? It's just like the whole UFO thing. I mean, we've got um, six films out on UFOs. We're the only Christian ministry that's done this. This is the coming great deception. Everything dovetails together. What What's in this book? are the fingerprints of a supernatural, the fingerprints of a dragon. And what we show in our UFO films is that this is the singing chair. Hear it? Yeah. Makes a little well, fat noise. I was about to say, you know, if you, if you just let one rip, that's okay. I can edit it out. No, I that, that's why I got <laughs> I to I show the folks that it's not me, it's the chair. But, um, I mean, it's... In the UFO phenomena, until 2017, oh, it's swamp gas. Oh, it's, you know, you're seeing the planet Venus. Oh, you must be smoking something. You're wearing your tinfoil hat. Now we've got David Grush going before a select, you know, committee um, stating that we have biologics from crashed UFOs. I knew about this for decades. It's nothing new to me, but the church dithers, is asleep, doesn't understand the severity of where we are in the timeline. 
this thing is ramp, ramping up, baby, in ways that I've never seen. Do you want to tell so, them what you told us at the conference? Because I know you said that it was kind of, you know, top secret, but you divulged it to us, uh, your findings out in the desert. <laughs> or is that is that still under um, a hat? That's, that's still under, let me put it this way. Number seven, the film I'm working on right over there in the edit booth, is on Roswell. And we went out to the Roswell crash site. And we found something. That's all I'll tell you. But that film will be out. Uh, it's Roswell 1 and Roswell 2. There's two films on Roswell. And then we wrap it up with number nine, which is what is the truth? What are we looking at? What is the truth? And um, I hope to get this this Roswell 1 done sooner than later. Awesome. Well, uh, I know we're getting close to time for you to go, L.A. Uh, once again, just give us a plug and uh, where we find your stuff, just for those that weren't paying attention. Yeah, and, and and please, you know, when you buy stuff from us, you keep us doing what we're doing. It's This isn't free. Um, you know, we've got some people that, that donate money to us, and thank God that they do. It keeps us in the field. But lamarzuli.net, lamarzuli.net, that is the website. Um, and if you want to just stream everything we've been talking about, there are 28 films on our streaming site. I'm the host of all of them, 28 films. I directed and, and produced and co-produced many of them. So in my, my business partner, uh, my new business partner, Gil Zimmerman, and I have uh, worked on, I think it's like uh, five films together and more coming out. He's a great guy, and uh, he's our... Uh, director of cinematography, Gil worked at Disney and uh, and um, DreamWorks for 30 years between the two. He's he's a real deal, and we're honored to have him part of our team. He's my business partner, and then James Peterson is our sound guy out in the field, and also um, he keeps us on our toes and keeps us laughing. <laughs> so lamarzuli.net, lamarzuli.net, streaming at lamarzuli.net. If you just want to go in there. Binge watch them. There's, there's, there's so much information, it'll blow your mind. Streaming at lamarzuli.net, lamarzuli.net. Justin, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. No, thank you, man. It's always just a enlightening conversation. Thank you, sir. Amen. Appreciate that. Glory to the King. Amen. Like all great things, they must come to an end. Nothing gold can stay, Pony Boy. But what a good time we had. And who would have known? We had storytelling time with L.A. Marzulli. Only found here at Prometheus Lens Podcast. <laughs> but now, all seriously, good episode. Go to his website, check out his stuff. You won't regret it. Consider it an investment in your mental well-being and uh, what does scripture say study to show thyself approved and you will definitely do that with his content until next time torches high